0: Any. Today, the lectionary takes us to four texts of scripture, and this morning we'll be talking about two of those texts, Ephesians 2 and Psalm 23. So if you'd like, you can turn there now and hold your place. We'll get to the text in just a little bit. Psalm 23 and Ephesians 2. During college, I had the pleasure of traveling India with 12 students and two faculty. It was a wonderful experience and a great time to get to know a piece of land that is so full of culture, smells, life, and people. The trip was six weeks long, and and the sixth and final week of our trip, we had the pleasure of staying at Little Flock Orphanage. Little Flock was a place where Christ was alive and in the air that we breathed. It was after running around for five weeks and seeing sights and feeling sweaty, like we do this morning, that we could stop and rest and encounter the risen Lord in such a raw and real way. It was during this time that I got to know the sweet kids that were at Little Flock, and I was struck by the kids' love for the shepherd, the way the Little Flock knew their good shepherd. They awoke early each day to pray and study scripture and to meet with God, and they came back and would do the same thing during noon and dinner, taking communion, praying with one another, having fellowship with one another. So not only was I struck by their love for the Lord, for their shepherd, but I was struck by the love they had for one another. The way that the kids that had been there for many years loved and cared for the kids that were just arriving. And not only did they love the kids that were just arriving, but these kids loved us. These kids loved their leaders. There were fruitful relationships happening at Little Flock. And as I observed these children, I was humbled and asked myself, Do I know the Good Shepherd as they do? Am I dwelling in his house as these kids are? Furthermore, the love they showed for one another brought me to the humbling question. Am I building up the house that I'm dwelling in? This morning we will ask the same questions of ourselves. Are we dwelling in the house of the Lord, and are we building up the house that we're dwelling in? We will, get, we will begin by addressing who our Good Shepherd is by looking at the 23rd Psalm. As we find that Jesus meets us in our darkest valleys and ushers us into his loving care and protection, we will then reflect upon what it means to truly dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Using Ephesians 2, we will see how this is evident in both the Old and the New Testament and the implications it has on our daily lives. How do we know the Good Shepherd? From the Old to the New Testament, we read about a shepherd that deeply cares for his flock. We read about a shepherd that stands with us and defends us and goes before us through all seasons of life. So let's read about him now. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the morning that we've already had. Thank you that you are our hope, that you are our cornerstone, that your name is blessed. And that you walk with us through all seasons of life. I pray now as we study more of who you are and the implications that has on our lives that you would be with us. That you would work within us and that you would mold us. We love you Lord and we praise you and we thank you that we can gather here this morning. Amen. This passage is filled with beautiful imagery and profound implications. Let us focus on a few points that will bring us into a deeper understanding of the journey we are on as we dwell in the house of the Lord. David writes, He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. The image used here for paths can be misleading when imagining a peaceful route by the sea. The Hebrew word in this text was often used to describe what would happen when an ox cart would go down the road. It was the deep rut and valley that was created in a bigger path. You could imagine, using the picture on the screen, that these tracks in the road were not necessarily easy to navigate or always straight. And neither is the path he leads us on for his name's sake. It takes us through dark valleys and the shadow of death. Yet this same pathway leads to the final sentence of the psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thankfully, the Hebrew word here used for follow in this passage is better translated as pursuit. Goodness and mercy do not merely follow us, they pursue us. Just as a shepherd pursues his sheep, so do the attributes and love of our God pursue us. Being pursued by the love of our God is the only pursuit in this life that will not leave us empty. This pursuit will drive us into a deeper desire to know him and dwell in his house. With this in mind, let's step back and take a wider view of the 23rd Psalm. We are given great peace in the words of Psalm 23. We have no reason to fear, for we have a great shepherd that walks with us through times of trial and fear. Even in the darkest of places, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, our shepherd will go with us there. We find that our cup overflows, and we have all that we need in Him. An overflowing cup is a simple way of saying that we are more than satisfied. We trust and release our anxiety to Him, knowing that He has promised to go before us, defend us, and stand with us. We see the nature of the one true God in Psalm 23, a nature that is all-good and all-loving and all-knowing. His love is deep deep enough to not let us endure trial alone, deep enough to defend us, stay with us. It's a love that is undeservedly unconditional. It is by His grace and mercy that we can read the words of Psalm 23 with such hope, knowing that the Good Shepherd is standing with us. We do not have to convince ourselves this morning that this life comes with hardship. We have all been acquainted with it. What we can remind ourselves of is that we have the God of the universe acting as our shepherd as we walk through it. The psalm acknowledges both the heartache and goodness in our lives. It is not despite our pain that the goodness and mercy of God pursue us. It is alongside our pain. It is through this suffering that we may be led into a deeper pursuit of goodness and righteousness in our lives, and ultimately a resting place in the house of the Lord. The psalm concludes with David's assurance that he will live in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. In this house, there will be no wants or needs. There will be the chief desire to know the shepherd. As we dwell in the house, we know that we are protected by the love and the care of the shepherd. As he desires to walk with us and protect us, we in return come to walk more closely with him. We see similar language throughout the Old and New Testament to explain a life spent in union with God. In Old Testament writings, the house of the Lord would have literally referred to the temple, the literal dwelling place of God. When Christ was on earth, this literal dwelling place started to change. Countless times Jesus was there as people walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Whether that be literal death as he resurrected Jairus's daughter, or the emotional pain in the woman who had bled for 12 years, touching a leper, or extending love to the woman at the well, as we see in John 4, who we know would have been looked down upon in her community. As a shepherd, the Lord knew what it was like to walk beside people in times of sorrow, but also in times of joy. My favorite story of the New Testament comes in John's account of the resurrection. It's after Jesus has been crucified, and resurrected that he comes back to meet his friends just as he had found them three years prior at the Sea of Galilee He comes out to see his friends as they're fishing and they've had a night of being broken-hearted as Jesus has just been crucified And they've spent the night fishing and have had nothing biting at the end of the line And just as he had years ago, he calls out. Have you any fish? And as he had done countless times before he performs yet another miracle And their boat is overflowing, and instantly, they recognize their good shepherd. And they swim in as fast as they can, and they literally sit beside still waters as they have a barbecue with their friend, shepherd, and redeemer. We have a shepherd that loves and cares for us deeply, and in whose life was an invitation to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. Christ's death and resurrection, however, changed that dwelling place of God from the temple to our hearts. The veil was torn and Christ replaced the temple. And rather than solely residing in the temple, he would reside in each of our hearts. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Takes on a powerful and earth-shattering call when, he, when we know that he is dwelling within us. Calling us out to know him and love him is our firm foundation. As we reside with our shepherd in his house, we are called into a mission and responsibility for building up the house that we dwell in, remembering that we, as the body of Christ, are his dwelling place. Let us turn now in our Bibles to Ephesians 2 and begin reading with me starting at verse 12 and going through verse 22. For he himself is our peace, He came out and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Spirit. The church in Ephesus was divided by culture and ethnicity. While all would have been Gentiles, they would have felt as foreigners to Israel, God's chosen people. Paul is reminding the Christians that Christ has torn down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. Furthermore, the Christian church shares its origins with the history of God. Now, we are one people. Together, we are his beloved children. Together, we are his sheep. The Christian faith would have become, at this point, predominantly Gentile, and since this was a pagan heritage, the Christians in Ephesus would not have felt like citizens. Yet, this would be one of the first times they would hear the gentle whisper of their Savior, that they, too, belong. Understanding the context of Ephesians 2, let us draw back to the powerful and bold words of Psalm 23. The psalm Psalm ended with the powerful truth that that our Good Shepherd can dwell with us, that through our Good Shepherd, we can dwell with Him in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. As we discussed, this house is no longer a physical temple, but the dwelling of His Spirit in His people. The passage in Ephesians ends with the declaration that Christ is our cornerstone. Built upon him is the apostles and the prophets and the body of believers being built up as his dwelling place on earth. The cornerstone is the first stone. It is the stone that all the other stones are built upon. It determines the direction of the building and lays the groundwork for what it will become. God is our cornerstone is evident throughout scripture. The cornerstone is constant. Unlike the bricks that may come around it, the cornerstone will never fade away and provides the groundwork for ages to come. I'm personally convicted as I read the words that follow. Christ is the cornerstone, then the apostles and prophets, and then the people of God, us. The apostles and prophets in this passage would have been referring to the first followers of Christ and the people that first spread his message. But this does not exclude you and me and the countless of others that have read these words. The verse concludes by saying, In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. When the word built is said here, translated back to the Greek, the root of the word would be used in the same way that we say, I am building my brother and sister up in Christ. It would have been a way of referring to an active effort to draw people closer to God. This word describes the process of edification, or encouraging one another to grow in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. Friends and family, we are building up the house of the Lord. The cornerstone that was laid 2,000 years ago is still being built upon. We are the builders, and we are the dwellers. When Christ ascended, he left us with a simple charge. Do not stop dwelling in my house, and do not stop building up my house. We are a blessed people that we are able to dwell in our shepherd's house. The Ephesians passage that we are studying this morning makes it clear that we are not to hoard this house for ourselves, but we are building it up together. We build up this house in two ways. First, by dwelling in the house ourselves, then by bringing others into that house. Jesus said, "'Come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest.'" The phrase, I will give you rest, is much deeper than a Saturday afternoon snooze or a holiday at the sea, but a a rest that penetrates one's spirit and allows the Lord's desires to become our desires, for His ways to become our ways. I have learned that knowing the shepherd intimately looks different for many people. We meet with our Lord on Sunday mornings. We spend time in private prayer, corporate worship, and in fellowship. We know that whenever two or three have gathered, He is in the midst of us. This is the same for a small group gathering that you may attend during the week. During this time, we flesh out Scripture together and walk through life with one another in burdens and trials and fears. We meet with God in solitude. For some, this must be an act of solitude. For others, it's the stillness and quietness of a 5.30 a.m. cup of coffee or the stillness of our rooms or the church. In whatever way you dwell in the house of God, I am challenging us this morning to press into that, to go further up and further into your relationship with him. He is eager to meet with you. He is eager to call you by name and to hear you call his name. In his his house, we find that we are filled with peace and joy and that we are truly content. Yet we know from Ephesians that dwelling in his house is not simply a vertical relationship. It is horizontal as well. Dwelling in his house means engaging with him and the world around us. As we read in Ephesians 2, we are invited to be his hands and feet in breaking down barriers and reconciling all things to Christ. We are his representatives as we seek justice in a world that is broken and bent towards sin. This has local and global implications for us on a daily basis. There are people living in our city and in our world that are in human trafficking, systemic poverty, trapped in addiction, and oppressed by racism. As people that are sent out to reconcile all things to him, we cannot let our hearts be content with such brokenness and depravity. Like Colleen preached last week, there are people in our lives that need an invitation to the house that we can so comfortably sit in. I encourage us to be in prayer as we leave this place for who we can actively be inviting into our dwelling place, into a loving relationship with our Lord, and how we can be setting things right as God desires all things to be set right in his house. We are best equipped to share his love and love others the better we know the love of the shepherd ourselves. Each of our gifts are different, so this will vary for each of us, yet the results will be the same. People will see glimpses of the one true God by our actions and love toward them. So as we listen to the words of Psalm 23, let us remember the implications this has on our life. Let us remember the vastness of our shepherd, king, and redeemer. It is my prayer and encouragement for us as we leave this place to be like the sweet kids I met at Little Flock. Each day, the love and devotion they had for their Savior translated to their love for others. A major rule during the trip was that we not take gifts from the kids. These kids have little, and what little they did have, we shouldn't be taking back to the States. Yet, as we left Little Flock and I sifted through the contents of my carry-on, I found a purple bracelet with a note attached that said, Thank you, Auntie. With tears in my eyes, I was reminded of the love of our shepherd through the sweet and caring note and bracelet of a child in India. The purple bracelet is a constant reminder for me today to keep pressing into our Shepherd's love. May we do so as the church, and in return, build up those around us into the dwelling place of God. Let's have a time of silence as we allow the Lord to direct us and guide us in meditation with Him.